Hi, I'm Arva. I'm Gracie. And I'm Yaritza. And you're watching SLPs in a Pod, episode 10! Woo! This many. It's 10 episodes. Double digits, friends. Double digits. Yes. We are so, so excited to bring you guys this episode. And per your voting poll, um, or we're actually like the votes that you guys put in, the winning episode for our last episode of this season is Clinical Cases, the Adult Edition. Woo! Although I did talk about an adult in the last episode, but I'll just do another adult for this episode. Yeah, so this will be a good mix for you guys. Again, we had different placements and just different experiences, so we hope that this is helpful. And we're going to start with Gracie's experience with her adult. Hi! Um, so I love my woman. She was so sweet. She was from my placement at a retirement community for the elderly religious. So she was a retired nun. Um, and my sister was one of the sweetest people I think I've ever met. She had a voice disorder as well as a little bit of dysphagia when she was drinking thin liquids, which we all know happens as we get older. Um, and also things that were a little bit crummy, like her morning graham cracker, which Morning graham cracker and coffee never went down right, but she always needed to have one. So, um, <laughs> from me, so, I love that. Um, so our goals were that uh, we would um, reduce risk of aspiration. We used compensatory strategies, um, and we also implemented vocal hygiene precautions to improve her voice quality. We made sure she was always hydrated because she was drinking more coffee than water, and that's not good, especially as you're older. Um, and appropriate respiration strategies to improve her speech loudness. So we actually took some of the exercises from LSVT to help improve her vocal loudness because um, she was a speaker and she also worked at the retirement community where she was at. She was not um, too advanced in her age that she couldn't keep working. So she was answering phones and um, working to coordinate visits with the nuns. So um, she really needed her voice. So uh, we used these um, exercises from LSVT to reduce muscle tension, which was actually pretty great. So I remember our last session so distinctly. She was preparing, um, I don't know how many um, of our viewers are familiar with how the Catholic Church works. Sometimes members of uh, religious communities will come and they will ask for uh, donations or they're on some sort of mission project. So she was a missionary and she was going out to speak to several parishes and she was going to her hometown. I remember how excited she was to go home and she was going to get to see her family and her old parish and, and she was just so excited for this trip and she wanted to get her speech right. So um, she was working with super emotionally salient um, material to speak from and it really was I think the driving force to um to give her the progress she needed because she was one of the most motivated people I think I've ever seen every time we worked she would stop herself and go I could do better than that she reattempted everything self-corrected before even I could um we had a, a decibel meter I had on my phone and I would sit far away from her and I would let her know if I could hear her so this was kind of a good um Thing for her to focus on to let her know how much she needed to project 
Um, and before I could even tell her what the number was, she goes, I could do better than that. She was so, so excited um, to get this speech right. And she was even struggling at the beginning because she was reading something particularly emotional to her and she, she was getting choked up and, and she started crying a little bit. And um, I remember my supervisor was actually there that day and, and both of us were like welling up and she got through it. She pushed through it and her voice was stronger and louder than ever. And both of us just looked at each other, me and my supervisor, and we just like clapped and we went, I think you nailed it. Like you're, you're good. Um, so it was kind of the, a, a lesson that you're told a lot in graduate school about, um, trying to make things personalized for your client themselves. But that was the first time I had really seen how much of a difference it makes. Like it's one thing when you're you know, working with a kid and you put their favorite TV show in it to get their attention or to build rapport. But when somebody is struggling to talk about an emotional experience they had on, um, I think she was talking about a mission trip she had had and the, the children she had been seeing and how poor they were and how they had overcome adversity. And, and she was getting choked up thinking about it. So we were getting choked up. And, and it was just such a, a sweet and emotional moment. And the fact that she was able to fight through it, we said, you're going to nail it when you get there. And, and that was the best last session I could have had with her. So that was my favorite adult case study. That's amazing. How did you choose, like, what you were going to practice with her? Like, what was her stimuli like? Um, so we used a lot of functional phrases that um, she could use in her everyday life because um, she, <laughs> she wanted to do exercises that I sent home with her for both dysphagia and for uh, speech, or for her voice, but um, she had a hard time doing it. She would always come in and, and she would go, Grace, forgive me. And I was like, for what? And she'd go, I didn't do my homework. And I go, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll work it out. So we started finding things that she could do in her everyday life. So before she drank, was allowed to have her coffee, she needed to make sure she had a, a full glass of water first to make sure she was hydrating. Um, she practiced her, her chin tucks and, and strategies that we had found worked better for her. So we made sure she practiced those with the water. And then when she took her sips of coffee, she translated it over. Or when she was answering phones, like the phrases that we practiced were things that she uses every day anyway. So this way, whenever someone called, it was like a built-in trial. It was like, hello, my name is, how are you today? How can I direct you? So this way she was practicing the things she's already going to say a thousand times a day that I was like, you know what? I, you don't have to come home from work and practice just just make every day a trial for you and then she told me she had this upcoming um uh this upcoming lecture coming so she was bringing in passages to our sessions until it was finished and then our last session she read the whole thing and so that was part of her homework which she wanted to do because it, it was important to her to get it right that um every day when she went home she practiced her speech and I hope she got a lot of donations. Wow, that's amazing. I think it's really important when you incorporate stuff that they're doing every day so it doesn't feel like homework because you're doing it and you're implementing it. Exactly. After that first day when she said, forgive me, I didn't do my homework, I was like, you're in your 80s. You shouldn't be doing homework. We're going to fix this. Don't worry. <laughs> 
Um, I think the best part of our field is like the, you know, the role that these patients play in our lives too. So sure, like you definitely helped her, but like now you'll never forget her. Like the reality is like you'll never forget when she made you tear up reading um, the sermon or the biblical phrase that you like were working on. You'll never forget the functional phrases and how important it is to use functional phrases in, in therapy. And that's the most important part that we have to remember. That actually reminded me of another person I had while I was at that um, home, if I could share that one too. She was uh, a lot more severe and she was in the aphasia group I was working with. The, the aphasia group we did was for about, I don't know, half an hour, hour, and a whole bunch of women would come and we would all work and we'd play games and, and we'd um, work on cognition. But she was very upset that she didn't know how to write and she was adamant that she was like, I don't know the alphabet. I don't know how to read. No one ever taught me. No one ever taught me. And everyone just kept telling her, you know, you know, you do it, you do it. And then they would do it. And they'd be like, this is, you, you, this is how you write. You know how to write. And she would be like, no, I don't. And she would get really upset and hurt because she couldn't remember. She was, she was convinced that no one had ever taught her. So I was like, do you want me to teach you? And she went like, just look on her face. Like she was taken aback. Like, would you? And I said, yeah. And once I started, she remembered that, yes, she did know how to read and write. But it's just one of those moments of remembering how they're feeling. And, and if, if you were upset and frustrated and scared and someone's adamantly telling you, you know it, you know it. Like, I know this, the women were her nurses and they obviously knew what she was capable of. But just, just humor her. And then, oh, it came back that you do know how to write. Just say, can I teach you? So sometimes that was, that was another lesson I learned while I was there. Just humoring somebody who needs that little extra boost of confidence. Like, oh, but if they teach me, then I'll know. That was pretty great, too. Um, I just love that place. Um, I think the adult population, um, I feel that, what you're saying about your story also relates to mine because that connection that you make with um, your adult that you're seeing because they understand what they, well, some, in some cases, they are, they truly understand what they need and what's going to help them and motivate them. So, um, and things that are functional for them too, things that are going to help them in their day-to-day, -day, in their job. Um, I remember a patient that I was seeing in, in um, my hospital placement, it was one of my outpatient. So the majority was inpatient, but uh, this special individual, I saw him for outpatient and he had a very serious traumatic brain injury, which caused him to have non-fluent aphasia and anomia. And so he just had to, had like that slow progress that he had to build up being, learning how to be a functional person. I mean, and it transcends all these different areas. Like, speech can help them communicate with someone that they're placing an order with or organizing their day-to-day -day or figuring out how to sequence events and storytell and have those relationships with the people around you, which are super important. So that's kind of like my relationship with, with, um, with this patient where I realized that baby steps had gotten him super, super far. He was so independent, and there were a lot of areas that he wasn't, but I just thought how amazing his journey had, had um, progressed. So he was actually relatively young, 
and he had a lot, he had like younger kids and he had been working in this country and had gotten into this like horrible accident. So a lot of his goals were pragmatics, were um, how to call to make an appointment, how to make his breakfast, how to wake up and, you know, look at his calendar to, to remember that he had certain appointments. So all these different things that he was working with, and even something as simple as looking at someone in the eye when you're having a conversation so that they could hear you, they can understand what you're saying, they can read the emotion and expression in your face. We had to, we had to work on that. So he was like awesome at math. He could do math like super fast. So that's something that we also incorporated with um, his treatment was like purchasing something from the store and making sure that he got his change. So um, also like having to have a conversation with the receptionist about paperwork he needed to fill out and, you know, information that he knew that he had to share with, with um, the receptionist. So we incorporated all these things into our therapy session and it was so flexible because we had that, I had that like really a good relationship with this person and also I kind of understood like his goals and his goals were just to get back to how he was before and I know that that is super hard especially when you have a traumatic brain injury and I know like it is super hard to tell someone like hey you might not be the way the same way you were before but giving them the tools to manage their life to get to that point or to get as close as you can to that point like that's our responsibility so um, a lot of things that I like to do with him was like scripted conversations on the phone. So I was the, it was like scripted conversations if he had to like call his doctor and make an appointment. And um, he also had a part-time job with one of his friends. So it was like, okay, I'm, you know, you're the cashier and I'm ordering this. And then I'm asking him questions about how to make whatever he made at his store. So like all this stuff was actually really functional too for him. And again, it was super enjoyable for us because it was like we were having a conversation, but we were giving him those skills that he needed to go through his day to day to, to, you know, have that ability to tackle his part time job. You know, at that point, he was already buying his coffees from McDonald's. He can ask and he can remember where his money was and pay and pay his coffee for the breakfast for his breakfast right before he had our appointment. So again, it's um, a lot of it is that like relationship that you build, understanding them, understanding their life. Like he just would talk a lot about his previous job um, because he was a go-getter. He took care of his family and acknowledging that was really important, but also bringing him back and saying, yeah, but you're also working at your new job now. And right now, you know, you're working on these skills. And so it, it was... It was tough because you really appreciate your, um, you know, that dynamic you have with your clients, I think. And um, yeah, I had a really great time, like figuring out what was, what was beneficial for him, what he excelled in, what he had challenges with, and, you know, having written um, support for him. Like if I had to write out an ex uh, a greeting, that really helped him out writing things out, showing him visuals, giving him extra support, um, really helped him get through, you know, his goals and progress and increase his progress towards his goals. So I, it's something with adults, man. Adults have yeah. a special place.
They do. (laughs) I think it has to do with that they're older and they, like, understand what we're doing more so than children, I feel like. Like, they, they know the weight that, you know, therapy holds, like, the experiences that you have in them. So, like, isn't it wonderful to think that maybe one day or, like, today, he's probably wondering, like, I wonder what my SLP is doing right now. Like, yeah. she was so great. She helped me so much. Like, it's just so, it's, it's beautiful. Like, in the, in the most simple way to say it, like, it's just beautiful, like, the connections we build with our patients. And for you, like, I could tell, like, you really, like, left a mark on you. You're not going to forget this person. I think that's one thing that, as a student clinician, I realized I want to be with my patients longer. Yeah. I want to see them through. So like the inpatient, the rehabilitation department in a hospital kind of environment was tough on me because after two weeks, they'd go to a subacute facility or they'd be discharged home or I, I still wanted to follow their journey. So that's something like that our listeners could also benefit from too. You get to like experience these things and realize, okay, like I love my clients. I want to be with them. I want to help them through their you know, their evolving goals, and just, um, that was something that I always appreciated, and I was super aware, when you work with adults, you are super aware of, like, how you're affected by your relationship with them, so. Like crying in the middle of a podcast episode. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to ask you, actually, did you find it hard to work towards the goals that he had? Did you ever feel, like, lost at what to do? There were times that I felt upset because I knew that um, he had a hard time. And um, I, re- I clearly remember this story that he had to attend the doctors and he ended up staying there for like several hours and didn't have like the awareness to advocate for himself or to ask questions or really understand what was going on. And the people there, I'm sure they weren't super helpful in explaining things, breaking things down writing it for him, um, giving him that extra support. So for me, it was tough because we were working and it's baby steps, you know, you have such a serious uh, injury and it takes time. So, you know, it takes time to gain a lot of skills back. So for me, it was hard working on things and then having him go out into the world and like hoping that like he could have that support somewhere else. And, um, feeling a lot of responsibility like Mm -hmm. you feel the pressure you feel the weight on you because this is he doesn't Mm -hmm. have like his parents looking after him he is the parent he is the adult he is you know um, isn't that so unfortunate that the older you get the more complex your medical history becomes the worse your cognition gets and the more support you need like it's it's like I have more doctor's appointments, more insurance things to submit, more things, medications to juggle when I'm declining mentally. Like that's, it's really a system working against you. To answer your question, it was tough to work on those goals because I knew they would have to be in baby steps. Like they had to be scaffolded down for him, for him to be successful. And he needed a lot of support. So um, it was tough. It's tough. You, you see the gradual progress. So that's amazing. But it, it weighs heavy on you. Yeah. So RV- One of them, every time I talk about this lady, like I get super emotional. So I'm hoping that I can get through this without crying. Um, I saw her for, I want to say a few weeks in the hospital. It, I definitely saw her like every day that I was in the hospital for like a few weeks. 
She came in with what seemed like global aphasia. Um, she had been in an accident. I think she had had a stroke and had fallen in the bathroom. Um, probably, you know, late 60s, maybe early 60s. I don't remember her age much. She used to be very religious. And, like, so we'd have to use, like, religions, like, re sermons and, like, choir songs, like, to try to help her. But all she could say, and I'm talking about completely all she could say was ta-ta-ta. Like, for everything was ta-ta-ta. Sometimes there'd be varied from like varied intonation, but all she could ever really communicate was ta ta ta. So you'd walk in and be like, "Good morning, like how are you?" And she'd be like, "Ta ta ta." Like that's all she could ever get out. So we tried prompt therapy with her. We tried. I tried like sensing like her receptive and expressive language and just trying to get a feel for where she was at. So I would try to be like, "What's like what's the same? What's different? Um, like different aspects of." communication we'd have for like I want to see if, if she could use a communication board we tried that out with her it wasn't working I want to see if like she had any intent in her decisions in making so like when I said like where is the water bottle and I'd be holding a water bottle and a phone like I would have to try it a couple times because sometimes she would only point to what was on the right and like I would count those as like check marks in my head but in reality she was just like pointing to the right so she didn't really know what the water bottle was um and it was really difficult because every day I kind of left frustrated um, with myself. Like, I feel like I wasn't doing enough for her. I tried melodic intonation therapy with her. I tried so many different things just to, you know, give her some boost of communication, give her, like, some intent and a voice. And it was hard because you'd have, like, her caregiver or it was her family member who'd be like, oh, I heard her say this the other day. And I was like, When? what did she say? Like, you know, you, like, I would hope that, like, that actually happened, but it's sometimes, like, you believe things so hard that they become real in your head, and I was seeing her weeks on end and couldn't get her to say one word, or even a different sound, so it was really frustrating, and we didn't really know how to get much out of her, but then we were told by her husband that, well, she loves, like, religious music, religious music, and there's a song that she loves so, so much, and it was called Levanto... Mi mano, mi mano, levanto, it was something like raise your hands, like it was a beautiful Spanish religious song, and that day that we did it was me, my supervisor, the other student that was with me at that time, and um, her and her sister and her like niece, and we played the song, and she was like kind of swaying and like trying to like say the words, but like she would like say, or she would say ta ta ta, but like with the intonation of the song, so the, so the song would be like, da-da-da-da-da-da, so she would say, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, and like, she started crying, and then her family started crying, and then we started crying. It was just a really emotional <laughs> moment for us, um, and I think that just goes to show how important it is to take religion into therapy. I know that in schools, for example, we're not supposed to talk about religion as much or really kind of put any ideals in anyone, and that never happened. We just took that religion and we made it functional because the reality is what memories did she have? Church. What songs did she know? Choir songs. Who would I be as a therapist if I didn't use what she already knew, despite my religious beliefs? So I shared that both those cases, both the ICU and the inpatient rehab cases, because of the religious aspect of it. And this next quick case I have is also one of my favorite cases, and I talked about him in a few interviews I had this summer. Um, he came in status post gunshot wound and left craniotomy. Um, he only could say, what's the word? 
like that phrase was all he would say what's the word what's the word what's the word i'd come and see him good morning what's the word what do you want for lunch what's the word like and then when he would get frustrated he would just say those words faster and it was super super frustrating for him to communicate anything besides like those three words what's the word um and so we were trying to kind of diagnose like what kind of diagnosis he had at the time we were mixing between thinking he had transcortical i want to say transcortical motor but it might have even been transcortical sensory i really can't recall at this moment but we're trying to figure out and we figured out that he actually could repeat words or strings of words that were like well known and salient so like happy birthday if i started happy birthday he'd be able to say birthday to you but he couldn't initiate it so or phone numbers or like looking at numbers one two three he'd be like four five six like he'd be able to do it but he couldn't initiate it like he'd just have to continue it that way so what i would do in sessions with him was i'd play drake because drake was his favorite artist and like whenever i played drake he'd sit there and I'd be like, listen, I'm not supposed to play these curse words, but I'm going to do it for you. And, like, that would, like, cheer him up. And it would make him smile. And, like, the, that frustration that he had would kind of leave. And then I would show him, like, songs on my phone, like Drake songs. I'm like, what do you want me to play? Do you want me to play, um, like, Summer 16 or do you want to play something else? And I would notice that he would pick the song based on, like, the song he liked. So I was like, I wonder if we can get him to do, like, communication boards. Like, I wonder if that would work. So I made him a low-tech communication board initially with a few pictures. It was, like a cup, a cookie, like his favorite cookie in the world, Drake, and then it was like cards, because so we would do like card games with him as well for executive function. And I found out like after trialing it that it was successful. So we were able to give him like a voice and be able to communicate with his physical therapist and his OT and a physician about like what he wants. I want my bed pulled up. I want the lights off. I want you to leave. I want therapy done. And so I built his communication board and I would put it on his table. I literally taped it onto his table, laminated it for him, and was like, use this whenever you want anything. Like, I would use it in every therapy session. I advocated for his communication board use in the meetings that we have. We have, like, weekly case meetings on the patients in the, in, in, on the, patients in the uh, rehab unit. And I, like, really advocated that people use communication boards. And I even was like, we need to implement a hospital-wide use of communication boards because... It gives these people a voice like he had wants he had needs and he had desires and like just because he couldn't say them doesn't mean he didn't have them so i think that that case played such a big role on me because i've never had to advocate for a patient so much before and i feel like i even had to advocate for him like within myself like i had to push myself a lot because he'd get frustrated and i would get sad He'd get upset, I would be upset. Like, I wanted him, I wanted to see him succeed. I wanted to see him communicate. I wanted him to get to a point where he could tell his mom he loves her. And I couldn't get there. But if I could get him to be able to point to it, like, that was enough for me. So, it's also a learning curve when it's, like, sometimes your patients won't make the progress you think they are. Sometimes they won't get back to baseline, and that's okay. Like, all you can do is the best that you can with what you have. And hope that whatever you get to is sufficient for your patient. If not, try harder. I think there's a lot of value as like simple as it sounds, but a huge impact that it makes on our adult patients is music. Mm -hmm. Really connect on the same page over music. And there's like a lot of um, effort that the patient makes to remember these songs, but actually, scratch that. It's so easy for patients to remember 
certain songs that they're familiar with. And you'll notice it that like, there's something, to, there's something with music that really connects, um, makes connections and that we don't, I feel like we don't see the huge value that there is, but you really, really can see a lot of progress when you use music. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, that you brought that up, that each of those cases actually included included like a musical component to it, which is like a really good catch, Yuritsa, though you. Um, I was just sharing them as cases that like really stuck out in my head, but you're 100% right. We don't really give enough credit to music um, or music therapy, and maybe that's not intentional, I don't think it is, but music does a lot for memory. Um, and we've talked about this in, in with patients in Alzheimer, with Alzheimer's um, and dementia, like how important and the role that music plays. But you're 100% right that sometimes music, the words in a song, the, the lyrics of a song, the beat of a song, like triggers something. Sometimes it triggers them to say something. Sometimes sometimes it triggers them to remember something. Like you don't or know something or feel something. Exactly. Like the emotions mm -hmm. that they feel um, bring them back to that time. So I think it's so important to include that, especially when it, when it comes to having a patient who's pretty nonverbal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those were our adult cases, and I hope that you guys all enjoyed them. We loved sharing them with you all. I know that we have tons of other ones that we'd love to share, but alas, time is never <laughs> of the essence for us, but yeah. Right. Well, we want to conclude this episode by saying thank you so much to all our listeners. Um, this is the last episode of our season one, and we'll be taking a break until we start with recording season two. But we are so thankful and grateful for all our listeners, and we really appreciate your input that we've gotten from you guys these past 10 episodes, because it's really helped us give you guys what you want, you know? Um, and it's been great recording with my besties, Gracie and Arva. You guys are very um, talented, confident. motivated, confident clinicians. And I'm so thankful that I have you guys as support and also as colleagues. So um, just keep updated with us. We are still going to be posting on our Instagram. We're just taking, you know, low, a little break, a little, a little break, a little breather. A little breather. But um, stay updated with us on our social medias, and you can find all our previous episodes on Apple Podcast under Season 1. Yes. For one great podcast. <laughs> and we also be releasing a um, episode soon of actually some bloopers that we've done, because if you couldn't tell already, we have to record these and edit them, because sometimes we just can't speak English, and sometimes we just can't stop laughing. So, <laughs> so Gracie, tell our listeners where they can follow us. Oh. Oh, everywhere. <laughs> They can listen to us on Apple, um, also known as iTunes, um, Spotify, and YouTube. Not to mention, they can follow our Instagram as a whole pod. We are the SLPs in a podcast, or individual little podettes. You got Arva T, SLP, Gracie Z, SLP, and Yaritza, SLP. So thank you all for joining us in the pod. We can't wait to see you super soon. And we will always love and appreciate all of your support and your feedback. Um, it's been the most fun time recording with you guys. 
and such a blessing to learn so much new information and have all of our fun guests. So a quick shout out to all of our guests, Brooke Bielman, Casey Lewis, Alexandra Hopkins. Thank you so much for helping us make this first season so